This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. So was anyone surprised that Brighton won at Old Trafford? A sign of how far both these sides have come and gone, but still it seemed remarkably easy. Wild scenes at Spurs as Richarlison and Kulisevsky win it in injury time. Also late, late wins for Villa, including Duran's banger. And Liverpool, who finally win an early Saturday game. A diving header from James Ward-Prowse, but Man City win even when their opponents are really good. Arsenal win a stodgy one at Goodison. Newcastle win a stodgy one at St James's Park. Another game without a win for Chelsea and Luton are still on Point. All that, a bit on home supporters who like to spend all game offering out the travelling fans for a fight. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, John Bruin, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max. And hello, Jonathan Wilson. Morning, how are you doing? I'm very well. Thanks for asking. To Old Trafford then, Manchester United 1, Brighton 3. Tony says, does Wilson think United may have got rid of Ronaldo too soon? Um, I mean, it's such an, such an unsurprising surprise, this, as I said in the intro, which I wrote after I wrote that bit, John, but such a deserved win for, for Brighton. And the comparisons between these two squads are so stark. They're obviously doing the rounds over the weekend. Yeah. Brighton's starting 11 was 16.7 million. Would have been under 10 million if Solly March uh, had played. And United's cost over 200 million. And, and Brighton's including a, a United reject as well in, in Danny Wilberg. I mean, a reject. He left them nearly 10 years ago. But yes, this was the, uh, perhaps actually the least surprising result of the weekend because I think it's fair to say that the foundations of United have been shaking, let's say, all season. That's off-field and on-field. And a team like Brighton who possess speed on the counter uh, against Manchester United's pedestrian midfield are going to have some joy. Uh, And it's also a pedestrian defence. I think it's fair to say Lissandro Martinez, who became a cult hero last season, has not played at all well this year. Uh, And Onana, um, who was supposed to add a new dimension to uh, Manchester United. Let's just say... Uh, his um, passing is more Dennis Wise for England than Glenn Oddle for England, shall we say. Uh, it's just not happening. It, it, it's uh, Dennis Wise is a good player, but it's bad for England, I should state at this point. Uh, it just never happens. He was a very panicky player for England. And that's Anana because mm. he's he's been playing in a team that just isn't there. And then, of course... Uh, Watching back the highlights, uh, um, Hoyland, uh, the new, new striker, he looked pretty zippy, didn't he? Running around and all that. But he's already screaming at Marcus Rashford to pass him the ball. So, yeah, Ten Hag uh, is going through what every Manchester United manager uh, after David Moyes has gone through, uh, which is the first season's been promising. United fans start to get a bit excited. And this is where the reality starts to set in. A uh, long way back, United are fortunate in that it might be five places to get into the Champions League. But it already looks to me like they're competing to, for fifth. Mm. I mean, it is worth pointing out that Anana is doing a better job than Dennis Wise. Yes, this is yeah, yeah. probably fair to say. Um, it's, it's hard, Barry, isn't it? Because I, you sort of want yeah. to talk about how good Brighton are. The story is how bad Manchester United are. But, but Brighton are a supreme football team. And it is, it is incredible how little they've spent, especially on that starting eleven. Of course, they've spent money. I mean, Jao Pedro came on; he cost a bit of money, but it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, whatever way you look at it, they they're not a bigger club than Manchester United, but they're a better run club than Manchester United. It could be argued they have a better squad, they have a better starting eleven, they have a better manager, 
and all that is done on a comparative they're much better owner it <laughs> should be added i mean their owner uh, is arguably one of the best in the world um when it comes to running a football club whereas manchester united's are diabolical as we know uh their recruitment is better so you know in every single department from the top down brighton are demonstrably better than manchester united and that's why it was no surprise to see them tear United apart. And and they did tear United apart. There's an awful lot of blame to go around for that performance. So you can point to all areas of the club. And interestingly, the one direction in which it would be incredibly unfair to point is Harry Maguire. <laughs> he is completely absolved <laughs> for all blame for that defeat. Uh, one of few people in a position of influence at the club who cannot in any way be blamed for that defeat. Um, but Brighton are so massively impressive uh, in a way that Manchester United are not. Mm. And they made six changes, Wilson. I suppose the question from a Brighton point of view is, A, sort of how how well can they do this season? They're in Europe as well. That might stretch their squad. But do you think it will get to a stage where players might go, do you know what? I might not. I might st- hang around for, a bit, say, Mitoma. I might hang around for one or two more years because this is good. I am enjoying myself. I am at a good team. Or is that a bit too romantic, I thought? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely more likely to happen now than it was two years ago. But I still think other clubs can just offer a lot more money. I mean, nobody thinks Brighton can win the Champions League, right? But whereas if you move to Bayern or Real Madrid or, you know, you have a chance of winning the Champions League. So I, I still think there, there are predators who will take Brighton players. I guess there's fewer predators now. Yeah, you know he's going to jump ship from Brighton to go to, I don't know, Aston Villa, or you know, that that's no longer seen would no longer be seen as a step up, even if Villa possibly could offer more wages. I think the yeah the really interesting point is that was that when you touched on that, the fact they made six changes, the fact that they're doing this without Ferguson, without Nciso, there's a couple of really good players who who are injured, and yet they've got that depth of squad. I don't know. I, I, this, the thing that struck me when I when I saw that United midfield and saw they were playing a diamond. You just sort of thought, well, hang on, surely, surely Tarek Lamptey is just going to rip them apart. And guess what? Lamptey ripped them apart. So I, I don't know what... Managers obviously know the game way better than us. They think of things in a far more complex way than we do. And I'm always slightly reluctant to be, to be too critical of tactical issues. But why did Ten Hag decide to do that? Was it just that he didn't... You know, he's literally got no wide players now you know, because of Sancho... And, and Anthony not being available to him, yeah, and then that's something where they've they've got themselves in a position where it's 160, 170 million pounds worth of talent that's just not available to them for various people's faults, but it's not sort of for obvious footballing reasons. So I, I think that is a sort of a, misfortune is the wrong word, but it's not really, you know it's not a footballing error that that's happened. But I do sort of feel with Ten Hag now, and I said this after the Arsenal game that what he said post match was just really weird, like to focus on the offside. Yeah, it was just offside. That's just the way it works. Like, don't pretend that's the reason you lost the game. And then here to say, oh, you're bright and spend money as well. Well, not, no, we don't. Not compared to you. Like, yeah, their starting eleven costs less than Diego Dalot. You know, it's and then to make that like, what seemed to me a really weird tactical issue. I do worry that that, that sort of that that clear sightedness, which was, I think, for United the, the most optimistic factor from last season, that Ten Hag felt like he had the toughness and the the clarity of vision. That he could drive them through this this mess, I, I, that faith I think must be sort of beginning to to disperse. Baron makes such a good point about um, the ownership, uh, which is the thing is, it's about investment. And uh, Tony Bloom, compared to the Glazers, has actually invested a lot of his own money, which the Glazers we know haven't done. He's also invested a lot of himself. He's invested his own expertise. Uh, and he's got people, the the best people around him, which is something that the Glazers clearly haven't done. Now, here's a story from Saturday at Old Trafford. A friend of mine who was in the press room sent me a Manchester a picture of a Manchester United tea bag. Yeah, no tea in it. No tea in oh. it. There's oh, an a, empty tea bag. A, 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 an empty tea bag with not. A, with Does it not, have a? Did it have like a zip you could add your own tea to? I mean, what I mean. Just, just a essentially a piece of paper with. <laughs> with, no, with, no, with no tea in it. Now, there's a metaphor for you. 
Mike says, what can Man United do to get better from here rather than more wire United shit? Wilson, what would you what would you say? What can they do? I think it's really difficult because expectations remain so high. So I mean, basically, you have to start again because there's no element of that club's working, uh, and that's largely because of massive underinvestment for 20 years. Um, the stadium's falling apart. The press facilities. I, I mean, I know nobody cares about press facilities apart from us, but they're they're symptomatic of a whole. They they're not the press facilities of an elite club. Or Brighton. Well, at Brighton, they've done a silly thing with their. Press. Don't get me started on Brighton. What they've done with their press box. No, I know. I know what you're going to say, but um, yes, but, but Brighton have done that thing where they've crammed us away because of there's a, because because Brighton are moving up into an elite club. They're, they've got an elite seat things that means Paul Jonathan has to be crushed up a bit more than he was before. Yeah, they've taken the centre of the press box and made it a tunnel club, which costs nine grand a year. Uh, anyway, that's 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 Brighton's issue, and it's it's. I think it's the, the one misstep Brighton have made recently. But anyway. Um, United Academy, okay, they've produced Garnacho, but it's one player in since Rashford. Um, you know, when when Johnny Evans came on two weeks ago, you sort of think, well, who was? Why haven't they got a young centre back to come through? And you realise Johnny Evans is the last young centre back to come through at United, and that's ludicrous. You know, there should be an 18, 19 year old who can be competent at the last ten minutes of the game. You shouldn't have to go back to the bloke you produced fifteen years ago. Yeah, they've they've got to they've got to pretty much start again with with the academy, with recruitment, with scouting, with the stadium, and just improve everything. But that that that's not going to happen overnight. It takes time. And I, I guess yeah, we saw last season they can yeah they could finish third. That was possible. So you you can sort of make that reinvestment while ticking along in third or fourth. And I guess the Champions League money it it it, it can happen. But they're so far behind City that the idea of a title challenge in the near future is it's just not going to happen. Feel a little bit for Hannibal, who scored his first goal for Manchester United. As I said to Barry yesterday on on the radio, he he celebrated a bit like I thought it was someone in a football movie that's been badly choreographed yeah. by someone who doesn't watch football. He did a lot of jumping to the crowd on his own in a sort of weird. It was like we've only got him and some extras, so he has to be alone for this for this crowd scene. I, th- I think Dan James did that when he scored his first goal for United again in a losing effort. And did some celebration, and then was you know screamed at by the Stratford ends to get back and you know start playing again. And it's it's unfortunate. Imagine that scoring your first goal for Manchester and United. A one. Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah. And then it's like ah yeah, uh. the c- consolation goal doesn't exist anymore, does it? That was a great cliche of the of the eighties and nineties, but it's no consolation anymore. Well, also because you now you get 25 minutes injury time. It may be important. Oh, that's true. That's, and, true. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Uh, look, next up for Man United is Bayern Munich away. So <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Will says, is there anything more romantic than a weekend in which lots of rich teams come from behind to snatch victory from lots of less rich teams? Uh, let's start at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, Andy says, ah, oh, and I'm nervous to ask this, are Spurs possibly good again? Bam says, uh, did Max find out it was in fact possible to love Big Ange even more than he already does? I mean, look, Barry, it was not a convincing win. It can't be if you score all your goals after the 97th minute. <laughs> but there's no be- But there's also no better way to win a football match. Spurs are, are winning football matches in all sorts of different ways, aren't they? And this was another nail in the coffin of Spursiness uh, that, that in which uh, Ange has placed this particular weakness of the club he manages since his arrival... I felt for Sheffield United, I don't like these uh, extended periods of added time, mainly because I have things to do. <laughs> I don't want. I I I would be interested. Actually, I I kind of crossed my mind to do it yesterday, and then I never got around to. It. But if you totted up all the the added time, just at the end of second halves over the weekend, I'd imagine you'd have had close to another full ninety minutes. Where would you play it? Like so, so you get an extra. All, all you the get, teams come. You get an extra ninety well. minutes of, of the weekend. Where yeah, you you could have it like at Wembley, like one of those rugby league <laughs> weekenders where every all the teams come down and you know there's three or four games a day. The the rugby league weekend. Like the magic in the that magic there big London. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I suppose you could do that, but. Yes, I, I, I think uh, our correspondent is, is perfectly entitled to say, yes, Spurs are good again. And Ange Postacoglu's, when he got the job, there were plenty of sceptics. I suspect there were very few left. And it hasn't taken them long to, to change their minds, to change their opinions. 
I saw Paul Hickenbottom's comments after the game. He he had a moan about the ref. Apparently, he's under pressure, and um, Wilder might be coming back. But I thought his comments about his team being penalised for time wasting were quite fair and measured. And then obviously Richarlison scored one, set one up, and all his teammates were absolutely delighted for him. I was there. I thought his comments on the time wasting were ludicrous. Sheffield United were a disgrace the way they wasted time. I mean, like, disgrace is, is the wrong word. They, every a lot of teams do it. Wes Fodringham, uh, twice. I mean, the second half, he, he did get clapped in the head, so fair enough. Yeah, that takes time to do the concussion protocols and everything. But it was the fact that both times he went down, he ripped his gloves off, he held his gloves away. So even after he's had the treatment, he has to go pick his gloves up, put them on. That took forever. Did he put something heavy in the gloves so, he could, <laughs> yeah. so they would get a bit of distance? So, yeah, they, they were looking to run down the clock. So I, I don't have a problem. Yeah, but that 12 minutes was totally reasonable. That, that Chevrolet United caused that. And, and, and his point that, you know, they, they want to play out from the back, but Tottenham were, were sort of trying to stop them do that. So they had to, Fodringham had to think of what he was going to do next. Like, what does he expect to happen? Like, that's just, that's defending. That's, that's how football works. From a goal kick, you can kick the ball to somebody in the box and the forwards aren't allowed in the box. So if your player in 12, 15 yards of space can't do something with it, you're probably not good enough to play it from the back. If that means you have to go long, go long. I, I, I thought it was a very... I, I, I thought it was a, a good deflection tactic from, from the main issue, which was Sheffield United now have already this season have dropped seven points after the 88th minute. And the contrast to that is Buster Cogley, who I think what's been impressive about him so far is he's made game-changing substitutions both against Manchester United and against Bournemouth that Spurs were starting to get under a bit of pressure. He made changes and sort of shored it up. This time he made the changes and it introduced a spark of imagination. Uh, and then what he said about Richarlison, I thought was, as, as I always think when I hear him speak, of, oh, this is just like quite a bright, normal bloke talking. It's not a football manager. This is how reasonable, sensible, good people should talk. And him saying, well, I don't really know what the issue is. I haven't talked to him. It's not really my job. There's better people placed to do that. All my job is to provide, is to provide a you know a, 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 an environment in which he feels comfortable, and you still think yeah that's that's completely right. It's not his job to intervene in Richarlison's private life and sort that out. It's just his job to say, look, we will give you the support you need. What was the what was the atmosphere? Just you know that moment. Obviously, you're probably being annoyed about having to rewrite whatever you were writing, but you know there is it's quite extraordinary that like there's talk that that is a the stadium has a wonderful atmosphere and what Ange has managed to do and just those scenes at the final whistle well i think i think there's two aspects to that so the first is that it wasn't the sort of toxicity you could have imagined 6 months ago when they were 1-0 down yeah yeah spurs going 1-0 down to a long throw was the most predictable thing imaginable and you could have imagined you know under conte it would there'd have been booing half of people would have left there'd have been this sort of sense of fury the, that that didn't happen I mean, there was some period, but it tended to be directed at Sheffield United for, for the time wasting. And then, yeah, obviously, if you score twice in the space of two minutes in the 98th and 100th minutes or whatever it was, it's incredibly loud. And then you've got Foster Cogley being serenaded at the end, uh, Richarlison being pushed towards the crowd by, by Sun, which again, I think, suggests the supportiveness of the environment that they realised how important it is for him to have got the goal and to have got the assist that, that he's now, from a football point of view, um, starting to fit in. John, there's there's obviously, we know, a massive disparity in the Premier League, the haves and the have-nots and within football. But I wonder if five substitutes plus all this extra time is sort of going to change, could change football in a bit way rugby has changed where, you know, if you're a smaller nation, you could hang on against 15 huge Kiwis and then they bring on another 15 and you're like, oh, oh I'm really tired now. And it's not that stark, I guess. I don't know if I've picked the right rugby team there, Barry. You can correct me, but that idea that this 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 really does favour the bigger sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, as we'll get to later, I was at Millwall yesterday and was chatting to a couple of fans on the way back uh, to London Bridge, and they were saying, you know, you, you look at a team like Luton or Sheffield United in the Premier League, and it just doesn't look that much fun for that reason. That the, the, the resources are so different. That your 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 squad as as hard as it might fight, and you know not everyone's got a Tony Bloom to to pre plan everything, and it's so difficult when you are stretched like that. And yeah, funny we we mentioned Chris Wilder. There was that big row, wasn't it? Chris Wilder versus Jurgen Klopp over five subs, where Chris Wilder, who 
if he does go back to be Sheffield United manager, will people have noticed that he hasn't been Sheffield United manager for the last four years? I, I don't, as you know, have a, a big admiration for Paul Heckingbottom. There was that big row where Chris Wilder reasonably said that favours the bigger teams in the Premier League. Jurgen Klopp, uh, in essentially self-interest, said, I want my players to be protected. And that's, that's also fine as well. There's logic behind that. But yeah, if you've got a 25-man squad and you are Sheffield United, a Millwall or a Luton, it's much more difficult to fill it with players uh, all the way through. And uh, as you say, and fitness is an aspect of that because um, the better players are fitter because they don't have to put in so much effort, aren't they? All right, that'll do for part one. Uh, Part two will begin at the London Stadium. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, we're going on tour. Uh, we start in London. Tickets still available for the 13th of November. Ellis James, Troy Townsend, Philippe Claire, me and Barry. Uh, also tickets available in Manchester uh, for you, John Bruin, and Nader Manuha and the Will Unwin anecdote. Extraordinary you haven't sold out, given we're, uh, people know that the anecdote is coming. Uh, Bristol sold out on the 14th. Dublin sold out, not just because of you, Wilson, but you are going 2021st. Tiny number of tickets left in Brighton on the 22nd, and that will be live streamed. So all of you, wherever you're listening right now, can come along. Go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. And if you can't get enough of us, uh, there is an online Q&A hosted by Robin Cowan with me, Baz, and Wilson on the 26th of September at 8 p.m. or 5 a.m. for me. Why did I agree <laughs> that time? It's madness. For tickets, go to theguardian.com slash footballweeklybook, where you can obviously also buy the Football Weekly book. Uh, West Ham won Man City 3. Barry, West Ham were really good in this game. You know, they they took the lead with a great diving header. They had some really good chances at 1-1. But that doesn't seem to be enough when you're playing Manchester City. No, it wasn't on this occasion, certainly. I think West Ham employed pretty similar tactics to the one they used away at Brighton. Um, It worked for them then. They won that one 3-1. But... Brighton played well in that game and, and came up short because they missed a lot of chances. And obviously Man City are a better team than Brighton. They're better than everyone. And uh, just West Ham didn't get that little bit of luck uh, they needed in this game that they got against Brighton. But then you know, Man, Man City won comfortably and still missed a lot of chances. Erling Haaland wasn't really on it. He still got his goal, obviously. Um, but he missed quite a few. But I, I was very impressed with West Ham in this game. Um, and City looked far more relentless than I thought they would be uh, in our season preview. I was sort of concerned they, their appetite might be a bit gone because they'd won so much last season. But... Uh, Pep seems to have them all uh, firing. It's a bit like you, Barry, isn't it? Season after season, you think, has the appetite gone for the beautiful <laughs> game? And yet you come back once again like a coiled spring. Wilson, I mean, it It must be so hard to defend against Manchester because you have to get everything right all the time. And, you know, they didn't make too many mistakes. But you leave Doku one-on-one with Sufal's start of the second half. And that's a moment. There's that agonising moment where Aged jumps for what felt like about two hours and the ball just wouldn't drop <laughs> and then City go ahead and then you're done. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess against City, there's not much you can do. I, I do often think with David Moyes' sides that they have a tendency to drop too deep too early. Um, and I think that's been true pre-West Ham as well. Um, but against City, what, what are you going to do? And, and yeah, to be fair, against Brighton, it worked. So yeah, it, it is. it is how... That Guardiola's genre of side breaks teams down. That they, it's just relentless the attrition, and eventually one mistake and you, you're done for. I think it's unfair to add Doku to that City team, don't you? Um, I mean, it's just like it's all oh, right. They've got another <laughs> dimension now. 
this guy that can just fly through you and you know because Mares didn't end up being that type of player which he probably was at Leicester Doku is just the direct winger you know uh, mm. uh, a Franz car with end product you know one of those players that just flies through a team and you just look at and um, speaking to colleagues that went to the game it was just like this guy's ridiculously good and uh, sometimes it takes a while for players to bed in at City but he could be an instant hit and they just don't need any more weapons like that, do they? It's just not fair now. But I think that point about the directness is is key, actually, that this is one of Guardiola's evolutions, isn't it? That, that it, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was all passing. So you could sit with a low block and watch them pass in front of you. And yeah, it, it took loads of concentration and very few teams could do it. But now the, he's introduced dribblers to that side. to Grealish as well. As John says, Mares sometimes not quite to perhaps to the extent they, they'd have liked and now Doku, they can dribble past you as well, which means you can't just sort of have you know, man per man because he can beat the first man with the dribbles. You've got to then cover him, which leaves space elsewhere. Mm, Pep called Doku a, yeah, a winger, winger, winger. You mean you have to really have to hug. The, that means you're not allowed off the touchline. Like how yeah. how how much do you have to you have to hug? You have to really sure. ravenously embrace the touchline <laughs> to be a winger, winger, winger. Yeah, you're about to say there, John. And then comes Harland, who uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like yeah. So you've got a, you've got the, you've got a ludicrously destructive winger, and then the ball goes to Harland, and uh, then we all go home, don't we? That, that's it. I mean, awesome, awesome team. Do hope that Southgate is watching James Ward Prowse. Um, and thinking there is someone who's who's playing in the Premier League. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Uh, I, I enjoyed the celebration as well, which was a combo. Did you notice this? Of the, yes, it was. Of the, ha- the hammer uh, mime gesture, uh, as once beloved by Sam Allardyce, and uh, and the golf swing. So, yeah. yeah, work's gone in there. Yeah, he did do that, and then it looked like he sort of pulled away from his swing, as if the wind had just got up, and he went, oh, I won't play the shot. I'm just going to readdress the ball. Do you think there's any other type of iron he could introduce? So he's he's got <laughs> irons, well, irons. It's obviously maybe, maybe a bit of ironing. Yeah, he's got to start ironing. Exactly. Next stop is ironing. And then smelting, yeah. like B.A. Baracus <laughs> building a tank out of a Robin Reliant. And playing he, an iron shot yeah, right in the wood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent. It's got everything. Uh, Wolves won, Liverpool three. Um, uh, Barry, you surprised us with the fun fact uh, that Liverpool had lost all six of their Saturday lunchtime kickoffs. Um, uh, Klopp really doesn't like them. And you're about half time. You thought, well, they're going to lose another one here. Well, they, they didn't lose all six. They lost three out of six, and all, oh, yes, all three yes, were away yeah. from home. But um, yeah, at half time, it looked well. It didn't actually. Wolves were one up at half time, and Liverpool had absolutely stank Molyneux out in the first half. But you kind of knew there was an inevitability uh, that Liverpool would come back because Wolves had missed a couple of chances. One in particular from Matthias Kuna uh, um, made an absolute dog's breakfast of a far post oh, header. Oh, um, it was great, wasn't it? Was it? Just, it was really amazing. It was of- just what I do. Yeah, it was just what I'd do. Yeah, it was like someone who's never, never headedable. Mark said, our oh, Wolves getting Barry in for heading lessons. It was that. <laughs> it was like, what's somebody done there? He's stopped. He wasn't a. It's proper yeah. soccer X, wasn't it? It's like Bradley Walsh on the end of it as the book. <laughs> I think Bradley's quite a good player, actually. But no, uh, you know, like eyes closed. It's coming. It's coming. I'm going to. Oh, oh, God. It was so agonizing. I would imagine the Liverpool players got a rollicking at half time. Jurgen Klopp took off McAllister, who I believe had been playing in Bolivia a few days previously and then flown home, and he looked very jet-lagged and leggy uh, and like a man who'd played a game at very high altitude. So he was taken off. Luis Diaz came on. Sabozlai was moved back into the sort of McAllister position, and Liverpool were a team transformed in the, the second half. I was quite annoyed with Wolves, actually, because... They they just really seemed to retreat into their shell for the second half after being so good in the first. But I don't know if that was a, a choice or they were just forced into their shell. Yeah, Liverpool won comfortably in the end. And uh, that's 13, uh, nine of the 13 points now have come from losing positions. Gary O'Neill is one of those managers that often find is not very accepting of a team's his team's result, but was accepting of this, which I found out of character, really, because this game was there for them. 
It really was. I mean, yeah, okay, they could have been three 0 up at half time and probably had to hang on because Liverpool were so much improved. But my thing with Wolves is that games do seem to get away from it. it happened at, at Palace before the international break. I think O'Neill. He seems to be reasonably popular with the Wolves fans, but yeah, it's finishing and obviously that miss. Um, they've got to take the chances. They scored the least goals in the Premier League last season. I don't see them uh, topping the charts this season for goal scoring, do you? I'd like to know what Gary O'Neill said at half-time. Because if memory serves, his Bournemouth team were were quite conservative as well. Yes. I I have a feeling he may have told his players, look, we've we've got this goal lead, let's try and protect it. But they were playing so well in the first half. And I know Liverpool improved radically in the second, but... The, the the Wolves team that came out for the second half were just a very pale facsimile of the, the team that ended the first. Quite a frustrating way to concede the all-important second goal, though, Wilson, when... And I, I understand, you know, Jose Sarr is thinking, right, you know, we can get a quick break here. But if you're going to do a big kick, you should try and kick it quite a long way, would be my <laughs> suggestion. Yeah, and then failing to pick up Robertson's run. I mean, it's a great pass from Salah. Yeah, I, I can see it's frustrating, but equally, there's not many teams have a quality to score that goal. Yeah, you know, the, the 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 opposition left back appearing in that part of the pitch, and Salah or you know, the Salah equivalent having the the capacity to to weight the ball because it's the weight of the pass made the finish look easy, which it shouldn't have been. You know, it's um, so. I mean, part of it's Liverpool's excellence, part of it, yeah, it's you, you can say that that they they concede the possession needlessly. I would say the this new Wolves signing, Jean Rickner Bellegarde, he looks a decent player. He he was really good in the first half anyway, quieter in the second. On the subject of um McAllister playing in Bolivia, I once played five aside against some very old Bolivian farmers at the top of a mountain. I could not breathe. Well, that is just, just you know, there's a reason why Bolivia are good at home. It's absolutely impossible. Playing at altitude, they were all about ninety. We were like, We've got this, lads. Absolutely impossible. Uh, you know, um, when, when Maradona was Argentina coach mm-hmm. and his big plan to, to beat the altitude was the Argentina flew in two hours before kickoff, took Viagra, played the game and flew straight home. And it was as if he thought they'd be too quick for the altitude. Must have been an interesting flight home. Just have a lot of headache. You just have a really bad headache. <laughs> it, took, it, took a lot of, it took a while to embark uh, and disembark. You know? <laughs> I just don't think you'd... I, I, I don't think you'd want... I mean, arousal and altitude sickness is a terrible mix, I would suggest. You need as much blood as possible in your head during the game. And if it's all gone downstairs to, to serve a different form, I, I don't see how that could possibly enhance well, it didn't, your it didn't work. footballing performance, whatever about in other regards. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, to Villa Park then, um, Aston Villa 3, Crystal Palace 1. I mean, I know the penalty is a big moment. Can we start with John Duran's goal? Oh, that, that technique, John, is so good. It is. Really likeable player, isn't he? Uh, and me as uh, you know, Top of the Pops mega fan, someone yeah. called Duran playing for a club in Birmingham. Duran, Duran, it's just... Oh. It's just irresistible. Uh, yeah. The nickname I came up for him is Nigel. Do you know why that is? Tell me. Because John Taylor, the uh, heartthrob bass player of Duran Duran, uh, his real name is Nigel. Good. That is a step further than the uh, Duran Duran puns that Match of the Day exhausted between Messrs Murphy, Which were really Shearer bad. and yeah, Lineker. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that yeah. ball just went so fast. I mean, it's just such a brilliant bit of football and, the, and it's so hard to hit the ball on the rise and I just thought it was a wonderful moment. Um, the, 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 the key point in this game is probably the penalty, Wilson. Um, Derek says, regardless of being correct in awarding the penalty for Villa or not, is it just me that thought it was good to see Darren England being sent to the monitor, listening to his colleagues and saying, no, I was right the first time and standing by his decision? I sort of... I was watching it thinking, oh, look, here's some good VAR because that isn't a penalty. And then he gave the penalty and I couldn't, I couldn't tell you if it's a penalty or not. Yeah, well, again, I'd like to know what the conversation between them was because the the key thing is, does he play the man before he plays the ball? And it's a, it's a marginal thing. Um, and I, I guess you see it in, you know, in, in cricket when it's, does it hit the pad first, does it hit the bat first? And often it's sort of between frames and you can't really tell. And there's one of those in the third ODI. 
but the, the, they end up giving the benefit of the doubt to the batsman. And you could tell that Paul Wright, the on-field umpire, was really un- unhappy he'd been overruled. So I, I, I hope the conversation between them was, have a look at this again. You know, do you think that the toe touches the ball before the, the sort of knee touches the, the forward's ankle? And I, you know, I, I haven't seen it slowed down slowly enough to, to, to make a judgment on that, if it's even possible to make a judgment on that. So I, I know that you should only be overturning clear and obvious errors. And I guess it's not a clear and obvious error. Although by the point he's called over, I guess you, you've gone beyond that point. And I think then, if, if there's any doubt, you were with the safer decision, which is not to give the penalty. And I, I think probably Palace would be... I mean, it's not a terrible, terrible decision, but I, I can understand why Palace are disappointed by it. And I suppose, Barry, this is sort of one of the reasons why the PGMOL would be reluctant to sort of play out live what's being said. Because it might just be three people going, oh, do you know what? I'm not sure, Darren. What do you think? Oh, I don't know, mate. Well, from watching that that show that was on Sky and TNT and Sports with Michael Owen and uh, Howard Webb, these conversations just seem to be lots of excitable northern men shouting at each other. <laughs> I'm not sure that makes for great television. You know, it did in Phoenix Nights. During a football match, I'm not so sure. <laughs> do, do, do you think it's working now? Or, or like... <laughs> Unai Emery said, um, we were playing more with our hearts than with our minds in the last 20 minutes. And sometimes you need that. Are you podcasting with your heart or your mind right now, Baz? Do you say? Oh, I'm always podcasting from straight from the heart, Max. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, but they, I mean, I don't know. They probably deserved it. I thought, I thought Palace... But the thing is, Palace, Wilson had those chances, didn't they, at 1-0? Eze had a couple. and, and um... But yeah, there's that one very good chance that Eze had where the ball just sort of bounced slightly too high for him to, 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 to finish it comfortably. I mean, Palace, I think, have been really good this season. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, th- I thought this was a just a good game between two pretty decent teams. So, I, I, what, what are Palace hoping for this season? Sort of 10th? Is that, is that about right for them? Uh, and that's the performance of a team that will probably finish about 10th, but they'll probably finish slightly higher than them. Oh, and Roy Hodgson was unwell, couldn't make the game. We, of course, uh, uh, send our best wishes to him, and that'll do for part two. Uh, part three will begin at Goodison. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, a chorus of boos at Goodison. They're back if they ever went away. Um, Everton nil, Arsenal one. I mean, Super Sunday. You've got a feel for you've got a feel for the Sky lads, and you know, and the match of the day too, lads, haven't you? This was a. This was, I didn't hate the Bournemouth Chelsea game, but this was a pretty bleak day, and I suppose they must have been just delighted to have anything that happened, Barry, when Trossard scored that goal. Yeah, I, I, you could certainly have a case against Sky for the trade descriptions that calling that Super Sunday because there were two pretty meh games. I thought Bournemouth Chelsea was the better game, but Everton Arsenal was first on match of the day, presumably because it had a goal and because Arsenal were playing. Uh it was well documented that going into this game that Arsenal's record at Goodison was atrocious. I think this was as comfortable a one nil win as you're going to see possibly should have been 2-0 that offside decision was in the first half was one of 
a major talking point. Uh, I, I believe I I thought it shouldn't have been offside, but I believe by our old friend, uh, the letter of the law, it it was the correct decision. And if so, I think then the law possibly needs changing because, in my opinion, Beto, it was a deliberate play of the ball, but according to the rules, it, it wasn't. But anyway, it was a very comfortable win. It was a very good goal from a one of several short corners Arsenal took. And Everton were pretty dismal and offered little or nothing. Mm. I the interesting Arsenal point, Wilson, is, is Ramsdale being dropped and David Rea coming in. And, and the fact that it blows our minds that you might have two keepers of sort of equivalent ability. Could, could you envisage a sort of Shilton Clements situation, alternating style? Is Ramsdale going to be the Champions League? We'll have to wait and see. I can understand it feels intrinsically wrong to me because everything will be highlighted by every time a goal something happens to a goalkeeper if you don't have a designated number one well I, I don't think it's a Shilton Clemens thing Shilton Clemens thing was basically uh, not making a decision but you know it was Ron Greenwood bottling it basically and it, I think actually genuinely terrible decision. I mean this is one of my hobby horses I don't know how you got me onto this um, I think it's a genuinely terrible decision because Shilton was somebody who liked to sit deep, and so he needed his defensive line to sit deep. Clements was great at, at coming out of his box, playing from the back, played, you know, played behind a, a Liverpool defence that pushed high. So the two keepers who play in a completely different way. So I think that was massively confusing for England. And one of the reasons England perform in the early 80s is, is for me, is that... And Clements, and Clements is a great bloke. <laughs> I mean, that, that is another difference between the two, yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> Peter Schmeichel has been one of many goalkeepers who says he thinks this is a bad idea, that he thinks the goalkeeper's relationship with his back four or back three is is very delicate and you don't want to upset that by, by changing. And he was also talking about how a goalkeeper needs to feel he has a confidence of his manager and, and not be undermined. So that, that may all be true, and Peter Schmeichel clearly would understand that better than any of us. However, what I thought was interesting was what Mikel Arteta said afterwards, which was... He said different goalkeepers have different characteristics for different games. Now, last season, uh, when Arsenal lost to Everton, was uh, Arsenal's 16th game of the season. I don't know if you remember the goal. It was in swinging corner from McNeil and Tarkovsky got the header. And Ramsdale was a little bit sort of weak coming for it. From that moment, other teams started bombarding Ramsdale. Brentford did it particularly, a couple, when was that, two, three weeks later? That was the first goal Arsenal conceded last season from a cross-set play they went on to concede four more. So the first 16 games of season, one from a cross-set play, last 22, four. And you could see that other teams were, were targeting that. Uh, now, David Rea is two inches shorter than Ramsdale, so you'd think he'd be less commanding. But if you look at the stats, over their careers, Ramsdale has stopped 5.9% across coming in the box. Rea, 8.7%. So Rea is more commanding. Uh, now, you couldn't really tell yesterday because I think Everton only had one corner and there's only one one shot in the Arsenal goal. But I think it may be that in games where Arteta expects a more physical challenge, he will pick Raya and Ramsdale is for games where he thinks Arsenal control possession and you, it's more important to have something pass out from the back. Not that Raya's bad at playing, playing out from the back. But I, I think, yeah, the, the games where you're going to get physically bombarded, I, I think he's going to choose Raya. And we'll, we'll see if, if mitigating that vulnerability is worth the potential disruption. I, th- I think it's an in, a really interesting experiment. What do you make of Dice Ball, John? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it, this was Sean Dice's first game last season, wasn't it, for, of Everton beating Arsenal? Uh, and it appeared that he tried to do exactly the same as last time, which is a, a fairly Dicean uh, tactic. It didn't work. Arsenal were vastly superior. Everton, um, well, like other clubs we can mention, played a team without much direction. And that's the issue that they've got there. Um, I think it's important to note the 7-7 buyout that was um, trailed. 7-7-7 seven, seven, seven seven, seven, seven. Unless, unless there's another company called 7-7 seven, seven also trying to buy them. Which well, which would be really, really interesting, confusing. yeah. Lucky 7s, yeah. lucky the uh, um, rather sarcastic Everton fans have started to call their prospective new owners. Um, yeah, that just adds to the gloom, doesn't it? You know, the, the Mashiri era comes to an end. And uh, I, I did a run through of what that, those clubs have done, the clubs at seven 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 own, uh, and none of them, uh, aside from Sevilla, who they only own seven point five percent of, 
have been particularly impressive since that ownership came in. Bournemouth nil, Chelsea nil. First goal as draw of the season. Ryan says, should Chelsea have strengthened in the summer <laughs> transfer window? <laughs> Still enjoying that. I mean, they did have a real injury crisis, Barry. Like when the, when the bench came up and I wasn't really concentrating, I was like, I don't recognise any of those people. I was like, okay, I'll chill while I know. Oh, that's Cole Palmer. But I was a bit like, blimey. For a team that have spent a billion pounds... They've not got any players. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> yeah, it was quite funny. And so I, I didn't recognise many of the names on their bench. Not a good result for them. It's a game that could have gone either way. There were chances both goalkeepers had to make saves. I thought Bournemouth had the better chances and they had more chances. I don't know what's going to happen, this Chelsea team. And uh, looking at Maurizio Pochettino being interviewed afterwards, I think he doesn't know either. No, no. <laughs> but he's he's in a position to influence what happens to them, uh, unlike me. And he cares what happens to them, unlike me. Uh, so, but yeah, it, it, was, it was a very forgettable game. And I think, you know, Bournemouth could have got their, their first win. Uh, under Ariola, but they're still waiting for that. It, it was very forgettable. Wilson, can you hazard a guess as to what might happen at, at Chelsea? No. I mean, <laughs> look, it's, it's, this is one of those things where, from from the moment Bowley, so I was I was happened to be at the uh, first game Bowley attended at Stamford Bridge, which was a two-two draw against Wolves, and it, it's. Just, just so happened that he was in the in the director's box, directly opposite where I was in the press box. So every time I looked up, I could see him. And Chelsea scored a goal in the first half that was miles offside. And like any, anybody who'd ever watched football knew it was offside. And there's a cursory bar check, and sure enough, it's offside. And he carried on celebrating for a good ninety seconds. And that was the moment I thought this guy has no idea. Like that's not the behaviour of a man who's ever watched football before, and and then you still think, no, oh, he's put all this money in. Like he must know what he's doing. And I just wonder who, if he's talked to anybody who actually is prepared to say to him, look, this you can't just buy loads of kids. Kids have to learn from people. And what's going to happen is the likes of Mudrick or or Jackson, they're clearly very very talented, but they're still quite raw, and. They'll miss a couple of chances, and what they need is an older player there to go, don't worry, we all miss chances, and they need a couple of older players there to take the chances. And you just sort of feel this panic emanating of everybody, and every player there is getting worse. Um, and that's entirely to do with the, the total lack of balance in the squad and in terms of, of shape on the pitch, but also in terms of age profile. There's a reason why a team is made up of 22-year-olds and younger don't, don't win tournaments. Uh, Justin Clivert made a big difference. Uh, when he came on for Bournemouth. I think he once had a kick through the Soccer AM hole in the wall as an eight-year-old when Patrick Clivert came on as a guest. So it did make me feel slightly old to see him running around, uh, actually playing real football. Um, uh, Newcastle won Brentford nil. Um, Newcastle uh, had Isaac and Tanai on the bench, sort of one eye ahead of uh, their game against Stacey Milan uh, in the week. Was that a penalty, John? I thought it was. And then Alan Shearer said it wasn't. And I thought, well, he's quite partisan. And if he didn't think it was, then maybe it wasn't. But is Alan Shearer doing it to show that he's not quite as... There might be a, a, some sort of subterfuge in that. Mm, right, so he's playing the game. He knows they've won. It's an easy one. It's a bit like it's a bit like if you're, you know... Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're running the line yeah. for your team, give a throw into the opposition that just yeah. doesn't really matter. And well, then, I, I, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. after that, article or a slash love letter that appeared under his name in the athletic at the end of last season any pretensions that sort of even handedness <laughs> from sheer uh... yes well yeah his voiceover on the on the new docuseries yeah um let's just say that anthony gordon a player not without a reputation went looking for it but let's credit uh callum wilson for his continuing excellence from the the penalty spot. Oh, great pen, wasn't it? And also, he did the thing, didn't he, of describing how what how he worked out what he was going to do and forward planning. Are we getting better at penalties? Uh, Jonathan may know this. It does seem that footballers are better at penalties because penalty shootouts go on for much longer than they used to. It, when you, it appears to me, um, and that even uh, when you watch, you know, early Carabao Cup, 
the lower division players are much better at penalties than they used to be. Have we suddenly realised that penalties are quite a good way of scoring goals after all those years of describing them as a lottery? I mean, my instinct is they are, yeah, people are scoring more, I agree. I think this was a bit of an arms race, wasn't it? The, the keepers started doing loads of research and they worked yeah. it out. And, and so fewer penalties were scored. I, and now, I, I don't know where we go next. I don't know what the, the goalkeeping innovation is. Maybe, so the, the, um, the first World Cup, the first penalty, it was, it was, a, it was a double header. And there was one penalty awarded in the first game and three in the second. And the penalty spot had been marked 16 yards from the goal. And only two of those four penalties were scored. Oh, sorry, there were five, sorry, there was five penalties awarded. One in the first game, four in the second. And, and only two of those five were scored. So maybe we need to move the penalty spot back a couple of yards. I, I just feel we're getting better at penalties. But then uh, on match of the day two, they showed the stats. And he's getting into the 90% Letizia, um, uh What should we say? That quartile... Or percentile, yeah. I was going to say, do you want to be 90% Letitia? <laughs> Brentford appear to have replaced a really good keeper in David Rea with one who is not quite as good in Mr. Flecken. Because he was quite lucky, I think, to get away with that other one that Wilson poked in. And it is daft. I mean, it wasn't just him, it was Aaron Hickey as well for the penalty. But it's a daft one to give away in a game, Barry, that wasn't a classic, could have gone either way. Newcastle probably just about deserved it, but Newcastle are not the, the Newcastle of last season yet. No, I think they'd just be happy to get that win on the board after three consecutive defeats and ahead of their trip to Milan. Eddie Howe said himself it, it wasn't pretty, they won ugly, and Brentford missed several good chances. Johan Wissa, I think, in particular, was, was guilty of a couple of bad misses. And Flecken does not look... He hasn't got off to a great start. I'm not going to write him off yet, but he does look a bit dodgy. Fulham won Luton nil. Uh, Vinicius making his first appearance of the season, scored four minutes after coming on. A mini Ketspire celebration. Um, Alex Awobi also made his debut for Fulham. I, that I, It hadn't passed me by, but when I saw him, it had passed me by. That was a, that was a deal sheet job, though, wasn't it? You know, you know the, the, the late ebbing of the, the transfer winner, it's like, when they start getting very excited on Sky about the deal sheet. And uh, I no. think Iwobi was a deal sheeter. He was a deal sheet. All right. I thought Luton actually, I mean, Rob Edwards said this was their best performance. He's probably right. I mean, they're obviously, you know, they defend deep Wilson and then they try and score on the counter, but they had some, at least had some decent chances in this game. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of think, I was thinking this about Burnley as well. The fact that that Luton Burnley game didn't happen because they were getting the stadium ready. And for either, you know, for either of those sides, I, okay, it could have been a draw, but at least one of those sides would have got an extra point on the board. And you sort of think that might have been quite useful for Luton to have a home game early in the season, okay, against a, you know, another newly promoted team who who were much better than them last season. But to get one of the easier games at home and maybe get a win, whereas I don't know at what point they start to think, we've got to get to 11 points, we've got to get to Derby's record. But they're not far off that now, and, and that's not a healthy place to be. Mm, I mean, I was saying to uh, Faker others, um, is there a point as a Luton fan where you'd want to get naught points? I think as a Cambridge fan, like obviously you get to the Premier League, you think this is great, we want to survive just by the skin of our teeth, let's survive. But by about game 30, if we had naught, I'd be like, I'd quite like to, I'd quite like this to be a real, just a big zero. I think that would be a real badge of honour. Is it like wanting to get nil point in a Eurovision Song Contest? Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. I mean, I, I mean, obviously that will come across as really patronising to Luton. It doesn't, I don't mean it to. How, how do you mean it to sound if not patronising? <laughs> like, 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 no, no, no. Genuinely, like, like, like Nick Hornby's paragraph on Cambridge United and Fever Pitch is great. Yes. It's all about that run that they went on without a win and how it just became sort of this thing that kept happening. And eventually they beat this Newcastle team with like Keegan and Beardsley in it. And it was like this unbelievable moment. And I actually, I'm jealous. I was annoyed that Derby stole that record from us, even though I... I don't think I was even alive. I was on about two when we got that record. Like, I wanted to be the team that had gone the longest without a win. It was like a badge of honour. So I think sort of, I, I don't, Derby's different because they're quite a big, they're quite a big historical club. I don't know. I just think I I wouldn't mind a season where we got naught. I'd find it funny. I, I would say that given Sunderland had the, before Derby had the two previous worst Premier League campaigns, yeah. 15 points and 19 points. Add them together and you still go down. The, yeah. <laughs> well, and together we, we we have a chance, a tiny chance. The problem is because it was over yeah. two seasons, our goal difference was awful. 
Yeah. But I mean, the, the yeah, I, I remember um, Daryl Murphy getting a late equaliser against Tottenham in a game, and everybody going berserk. You know, celebrations like you've never seen. Yeah. Because of just the and, and you know entirely ironic. Uh, so in that sense, it was fun. But also, you know, the first of the season, 19-point season, that was a season that stopped my dad going to football. He just hated it and he stopped going. And that's, for, you know, for an old man, that's a sad thing. And so yeah. it's, it's yeah, you know, I, I, can, I can see both sides of that. There is a sort of comedy element to the, to the miserableness. But at the same time, it, it is miserable. Don't forget, Max, Luton only have to be better than three other teams. Right, so they're the bottom of the table. They don't, yeah, no, they, they could. Don't have they, a point. they could. Yeah, of course. Uh, they're on the same number of points as Burnley. They've played one game fewer than uh, several teams who have three points or fewer. So I think it's a bit. It is utterly condescending to be talking about them like this at this moment. <laughs> I absolutely don't think. I think they will. I don't. I think they may well go down. I obviously think they'll get some points. They're obviously a well-run club with a brilliant manager. But it would be funny. It's all I'm saying. It would be funny. Like, 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 it would be funny. I, and maybe that I don't intend it to be patronising. Maybe it is. Uh, Mike says, when Marco Silva says he never doubted Paulinho's commitment to the club, do you think he forgot about the bit where Jao got off a plane in Germany, had loads of photos taken with a Bayern Munich shirt and did his welcome video for them and they looked really sad on the way back? Um, he uh, he has signed a new deal with Fulham. He is an excellent player. I mean, it presumably has a release clause, um, but like, good for them. They've still got him. John, you went to Millwall yesterday to watch Leeds win comfortably. Did you have a nice time? I, I did, I did. Uh, Leeds especially did. They, having had a fairly indifferent start to the season, did look the part to come back up. A lot of quality in their team. Special management for Archie Gray, grandson of Frank, great nephew of Eddie Gray, 17 years old, six foot two, looks like an absolute pure footballer. Uh, just stroking it around in midfield. But yeah, the, when you go to Millwall Leeds, uh, it's the off-field um, uh, entertainment that uh, we see. Now, um, some of the chants uh, are, were of the nature that have been reported recently. Let, let's not condone any of that. But one thing about Millwall is um, they have this noise thing that they put to this sort of chant where they all go together now you know i go and watch some absolute wibble noise events and sort of yeah it really felt like that it felt like one of those sort of you know like sonic youth or something completely letting fly and just all and it's just amazing thrashing sound and i was watching the players i was thinking i can't i was trying to describe this i could not get my mind straight because it's so loud and i was thinking imagine trying to play football with that going on around you. Um, and then uh, a few videos that escaped, and actually one of them I was witness to, which was uh, when Leeds arrived. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, Luke Ayling gets first off the bus, and it's just like, what's that on your fucking head? Get your fucking hair cut! And all that. <laughs> and, uh, and Luke Ayling is <laughs> laughing away. And uh, just every... And then a couple of the players that were were at Leeds who were actually on loan at Millwall. I was like, you should have never fucking left. And all this. It, absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I mean, there, there is that video as well. And it's important to say, it isn't just Millwall where this happens, but there's an amazing video of... <laughs> You know, the people who choose their home season tickets right by the away end, they don't really want to play. They, they don't really watch the football. They just want to offer out people for a fight by going, you, <laughs> yeah, me, yeah, sort yeah. of miming, you, me, outside now. To, but to, yeah, you sort of, they sit, at, they sit at a 45 degree angle. They don't watch the football. Yeah, exactly. It's like they almost should, like, you know, the special Docker stand <laughs> seat should be, yeah. should be constructed <laughs> so it just points at the away end. And they just... But I, yeah, I love the idea, sorry, of... of um. You being in the away end thinking, I've travelled from Leeds to here. I've paid to go in. And what you're suggesting is you want me to leave this seat to go outside to be beaten up. <laughs> I may not do it. But there is a video of a man who is, I mean, he's having the time of his life. He's f so angry. I mean, he start, at some point, he just starts sort of bouncing up and down in this kind of, I mean, it's, it's a very animalistic. It's really tremendous. I imagine it would be, if you were in its presence, reasonably frightening, but from through the mm. social media video view, it's great entertainment. And I'm sure he probably rather enjoyed himself. It, it's, it's worth stressing, by the way, that all these 
guys are middle-aged men. They're not kids. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. no. No, but there are some kids who are learning. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, for- but that video of the Leeds players getting off the bus and walking into the den where this group of middle-aged men have congregated just to shout abuse at some of, them. Some of those were not middle-aged, Barry. They are beyond middle-aged. It was <laughs> Someone had sort of done a quote-treat uh, to the effect of, Mummy, why has Daddy gone to the football three hours early? <laughs> oh, because he wants to call Dan James a <laughs> Makes perfect sense. As we said, not it isn't just Millwall. That, uh, 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 but very fine. The, the video of the man when he starts bouncing—it's about a minute in. You think this can't get better? This man—he's not. It's just bouncing, bouncing, and bouncing with fury. <laughs> All right, that'll do uh, for today. Thank you, Wilson. Cheers, thank you. Thanks, Baz. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Champions League is back. We'll be back on Wednesday. This is The Guardian.